you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. This morning we're going to start a series in the book of John that may last the rest of our lives. I plan on uh, spending it three weeks probably every month in this series uh, and then looking other places, uh, probably in the Old Testament, as well as we go. And it is a, um, it is a gospel. So I remember when I taught at New Life, uh, I had a Bible class and asked every year, year after year after year, for the kids to write a paragraph at the beginning of class before we ever had a certain single lesson, what was the gospel? Could you tell me what the gospel is? Give me a paragraph on the gospel. And without exception, every single year for 11 years, 70% of the kids wrote one sentence. The gospel are four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which did not get them a good grade. But in some respects, they're right. So I wrote another paragraph last night. I, I do this probably every year. I'll write the gospel. I, th- I would encourage you to do it. Can you write the gospel in a paragraph and do it again next year and then do it again next year? So this was last night. The creator God of the universe has a certain character which he insists that all of his moral creatures created in his image are to share. The first generation of mankind rebelled against this requirement. Fallen man was rejected, expelled from God's presence, and condemned to die. From that time to this, all humanity lives as they please, piling up their offenses and earning their punishment. However, on the day that man fell, a promise was made that one day a man would be born that would restore the broken relationship that man once had with his maker. The gospel is the good news of the coming of that promised man. This man lived in perfect conformity with the character of God but was executed for blasphemy because he claimed to be God himself. The Bible's chief claim is that the life lived by Jesus is credited to anyone who trusts God that Jesus is that promised gift. The man's promised death, furthermore, was exacted on Jesus instead of him. The four New Testament Gospels are called Gospels because they're records of this acceptable life and this substitutionary death. When you look at the book of John, I would say more Christians would recommend John as a first book of someone who is, who is not yet a Christian or maybe not at all a Christian, but that, that that person who's recommending it would say, if you were to read this, something in here is dear enough and, and clear enough that it would tell you what God has promised to us, that what God has said about his son would be made clear to you. Martin Luther said, if the enemies of Christ were to be so strong that they could destroy the Bible, but somehow leave the Gospel of John and the Book of Romans untouched, then Christianity would be just fine. Because the Gospel in those two books are as clear as a bell. So as we look into the gospel, we have to look in the big picture that, Paul, that John here, the apostle, the disciple, 
is saying that Jesus is God himself, capable of taking our sins on himself, capable of dying in our place and becoming an acceptable savior, and that he was willing to do it. John knew Jesus. And in fact, the book, the gospel that bears his name does not have the, the word John in it. And some would, would say that means that he didn't write it, except that it was written by a disciple, and it was written in such a way that the only disciple not mentioned was John. And in its place, he wrote that the disciple that Jesus loved did this, or the disciple that Jesus loved did that. So he saw himself as loved. He saw himself watching God work. And when he recognized who God was, it changed his life forever. It changed his life. So at the end of the book, he makes his, his claim. He makes essentially his thesis or his, his purpose statement for this book. This is at the end of the book. This is in John 20. And John writes, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe in Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have faith through his name. So his purpose is that you would, as you see what God has done through the person Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ, who claimed to be God, that there would be the power of God working in your life so well, so keenly that you could see it. And as you see it, you would believe in his name to your salvation. That was John's hope. That was John's prayer for the people that would read it. That was John's prayer for the hundreds of years beyond him as simple people told each other what they had found in this treasure book. Now, there are four Gospels, and John is the last of the Gospels. Um, it was written last, and it's put last. And the reason it's put last in the Bible is because it is different in many, many ways than the other three books. The other three books are called synoptic, and that just means, optic means to see. You're seeing the same things. So the, the three writers are all different. They're showing from a different vantage point, and they're all writing with a different purpose. But they're looking at incident, uh, instances in Jesus' life that they are picking to show what they're trying to say. Uh, but when you see the events, the events are often repeated. So you will have uh, the feeding of the 5,000, and you'll see them in all three books. You will see the same parables often in either two or the three of the, of the synoptic gospels. John is so particularly different that it's a completely different way of looking. So he has, a, he has left out certain things that the other three completely put in completely, and he has added things that the other three don't mention at all. So, for instance, in the Gospel of John, there is no mention of his birth. There's no account of the birth. There's no angels singing. There's no shepherds in the fields. There's no mention of his baptism, where the other three would do. There's no institution of the Lord's Supper, not included. Uh, there's no ascension. There are no teaching parables, none at all. But, he, but John adds things that are, that are not in any of the other three Gospels that we wouldn't know if it were not in, in John. So, for instance, the whole first year of Jesus' ministry in Judea um, is included in John and left out of the other three Gospels. It's not there at all. 
Also, it's obvious from simply mentoring Passover and some of the festivals that as John is continuing, Jesus' ministry lasts three years. But if you were to read Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and you read it through, it would appear that he has a one-year ministry, that you see one festival in it at the end, and that's the Passover, and then he dies, that his ministry would last a year. If it were not for John, you wouldn't see that this was an ongoing process that, that Jesus was doing as he was teaching his, his men. Um, he adds miracles that are not mentioned at all in the other Gospels. The first miracle of turning water into wine, which is such an interesting thing. Why? That he, that he took some water jars full of water and just with a blessing turned them into wine. Turned them into something that they weren't. Completely a creative act. This is John doing something. John has a purpose that the other three don't necessarily in, um, emphasize. Um, you also have interviews in the book of John that are not mentioned in the other ones. You have the interview with Nicodemus about what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to, to be alive, really alive in God's, in God's presence? Um, the woman in, at the well in Samaria, not mentioned. The rising of Lazarus. The, the raising of Lazarus is one of the reasons why that it made the, the, the Jewish leaders so angry that, that they determined that he had to die immediately, even during a festival. Because Lazarus made Jesus a superstar. And this is only mentioned in John. And the other things is he has teachings, discourses. There are five essentially speeches that Jesus gives that are only found in John and nowhere else. So it is, it's amazing that, that he's giving a, a purpose that other, others aren't. So if you were to look at Matthew, Matthew is preaching to a Jewish audience. And his purpose is to claim that Jesus is the Messiah. He gives one Old Testament reference after another, and he gives sentences at the end of events saying this was to show that the prophecy that was, that was in the Old Testament was to, to be brought to pass. So he was showing Jews that the Messiah that they had waited for is, has come in the person of Jesus. When you get to Mark... Mark is, is showing that Jesus is a servant. It's God's servant that he promised in, in, in Isaiah 53. My servant that would suffer. And that is what he's looking at. He's the servant of God that's willing to be the sacrifice for God. And that's how Mark emphasizes. Even though that Mark and Luke and Matthew will have the same events, how they write and what they say as they connect one thing to another and the order that they put things in emphasizes what they're trying to share. When you get to Luke, Luke has a broader audience than Matthew. Luke is writing all to all these people who don't have any idea what the Jews believe. They don't have, they've never read the Old Testament. They don't know what these promises were. They don't have any idea. And Luke is claiming it is to you that Jesus came, that you, to the world, to universally, that Jesus is your Savior and to be believed upon. When you get to John, John's primary aim is to show that Jesus is God. Now, when you look at Matthew, who knows that Jesus is God, he shows Jesus is God by showing that he was born of a virgin, that the Holy Spirit was the, was the one who allowed this girl to become pregnant, not like Zeus would impregnate every girl in the forest, 
Not at all. It was that the Holy Spirit, God himself, would simply make something happen. When you get the word only begotten, it's the coolest word of, of everything in Greek. And you would be able to understand it if you just looked at it, just looked at the Greek word. It says one gene. So instead of having, having a set of, of uh, like a book of recipes from your father and from your mother of how to make a nose and how to make insulin, Jesus' name only begotten meant that it only came from one. There was one set, that there was no earthly father, that God simply allowed that woman to have a baby to promise that he promised Adam and Eve would be the seed of the woman that would crush the, the head of the serpent. So when Matthew is showing that he is God, but, but nothing like John, John is emphasizing the deity of Christ over and over. So when you come to the beginning of John, the first three verses, or the first 18 verses really is called the prologue. It introduces the book. It's before any events happen, and John is simply explaining it. It is some of the most amazing language you've ever seen. It, you can tell that it is a different sphere than simply telling a story. It begins just like the book of Genesis begins. So this is John, this is John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. When you look at that, it is so monumental. For him to, on purpose, essentially restart the Bible and say, in the beginning, there is nobody that didn't know that. Everybody in the world knows that. People who know nothing about Jesus would know that the Bible starts in the beginning. Almost everybody does. That's just cultural literacy. Well, everybody in his day would have known that too. But he's going back further than the beginning. The Genesis story begins, in the beginning, God did something. In the beginning, God. But when John goes, he goes way further back. He goes way past the beginning. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, this is, I hate to hit you with some language, but you, you can have some past tenses that are different in English. You can say, I studied yesterday, or I didn't study yesterday. But if you were saying, I was studying yesterday, what that meant is that there was an ongoing action that doesn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end. Unless you put a clock on it, you just meant that it was ongoing. You were studying. I was studying. So when this says, in the beginning, was the word, it really is shocking to the people who knew how the language worked. Because what it's really saying is when the beginning happened, Jesus was already wasing. He was already in life. That he predated the beginning. He, there wasn't a starting time. He was never created. He's not a creature. And we're going to see that immediately. John tackles every heresy, all, the, all of the subtleties of the Greek culture, all of the... Uh, pride of the Jewish culture, he tackles it in three verses. He shows you that the whole world was created by Jesus Christ, that I came to Jesus because I needed a Savior, not recognizing that he is God. He was my creator. I had no idea of just who he is. His value is higher than my greatest estimation. 
And after 10 million years in glory, I won't have the first thought of just how great he actually is. It will have to be revealed to me slowly, slowly. I wouldn't be able to handle it. But John is tackling at the beginning because John was the one that Jesus loved. He's the one that leaned on Jesus' breast. He watched him act, and he was convinced completely that this was God Almighty that he was looking at, that he knew. So when, so when John then writes to his epistle, the letter of John, it starts off, the one that I told you about, that my hands had touched, that I watched, that I looked at, this is the one I'm declaring to you. I know him firsthand. I know exactly, and he is the word of life. So John knew that Christ the man was God Almighty. And how do you explain that? How do you say that? How do you say something so big as that? So you have John immediately tackling the heresy that Jesus wasn't God. And it started immediately, immediately, because the, the, the disciples knew he was God. When Thomas wasn't, he missed the meeting and Jesus showed up and Thomas wasn't there. And, immediate, and because Jesus wasn't there, out of sight, out of mind, you forget. You forget Jesus. You forget what he did in your life. And he needs to be in front of your face for faith to really grab. When Jesus is simply something on a shelf or something you remember doing or learning about, if he's, a, if he's somehow academic to you, there's no possibility of faith. When he's in your presence, when you're standing in front of him, faith is all that you can do. You know he can do anything. Peter said, if it's you, Jesus, call me out. Let me come out to you. And he walked out on water. And we're talking about Peter, the bumblehead. When Jesus is in front of you, there's faith. There's nothing but faith. When Jesus is in front of you, John felt nothing but love. He realized what he was, who he was, what he did, and how he acted. There, if you were to study the Gospels, they lay it all out. John wasn't perfect. John blew it, blew it, blew it. He had his mommy come and ask Jesus to, for him to have a, a higher position, maybe. Come on, you get your mom to do that? But, but John realized he was loved. And so Thomas now is there when Jesus shows up. The doors are all locked, and Jesus stands right in front, and Jesus immediately talks to Thomas straight on. And he said, I want you to be believing. There are people that will never see what you see. And blessed are they that believe when they don't see. But I don't want you to be unbelieving. Why would you be unbelieving when I'm right with you? And Thomas said, my Lord, my master, and my God. So the disciples in the first century, in the first days knew that it was God, and immediately the devil starts playing the tricks. Oh, no, 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 couldn't possibly be God. How crazy is that? We're talking about a God-man? Now, the God-man idea in, in year one is no more or less ridiculous than the God-man idea now. That's what the Christian church claims. We're claiming that there is a man who was God and is God. When you see the Lord Jesus as your judge, and you will, he is a man who lived in your place if you put your faith in him. That was John's intent, that you might believe on his name and have salvation through it. That's the purpose. He's writing to convince people who do not believe that God 
is Jesus and that Jesus is God. Now, the, this heresy has been all the way through the, the history from the earliest days. There was, a, there was a priest in the second century, well, third century, 250 or whatever, born, named Arius, and he claimed, oh, you're being so disrespectful to God. How dare you say that this man who is a carpenter born in a Palestinian barn, are you kidding? He's God. How could you, not, how could you be so disrespectful of the real God? And he was acting like he was very, very respectful of God, but what he was doing was saying Jesus could not be God. And that heresy spread like wildfire. <clears throat> it was everywhere. And it was in, it was in John's day. John is c- combating it right now. He's saying he was God and is God. But he had to do way more than that because he was in the middle of the Greeks. And the Greeks were the smart people. These were the sophisticated people. These were the people who did their homework and were not yahoos. And there was, some, there was a Greek philosophy that... You couldn't step in a river that was the same river. If you stepped in a river and then stepped in it again, the water that used to be that river is now downstream. That the whole world is always changing, always changing, always changing. And because everything is changing, you look out of your eyes and you see that the apple always hits the ground. And that things happen in order and it's regular and that there's, there is, it's not chaos, but it's orderly. And the Greeks were straining their brains to say, how in the world is the, is the world orderly when everything about is nothing but chaos? We see chaos everywhere, but yet everything is just the way it needs to be. And so the Greeks put a word to it. They said, it must be the logos. It must be the, it must be the working power of God, the logic of God, that is able to hold up. Now, the Greek concept of God was just gods everywhere, gods that were worse than you. You were more moral than their gods were. But the gods must be, in their power, working out orderliness amidst chaos. And so they called it the logos, which means word. So John doesn't say Jesus was born in Bethlehem. What he says was in the beginning, before the beginning, before the beginning ever was, preexistent, in his complete always eternity was Jesus God. And it says, and the word, so he called him the word, meaning that it is the way that God works in this world. It's what makes the world make sense. We are in Jesus, the Bible says. Paul says we are in him and that he fills the whole universe in every way. What they were doing is taking the thought that the Greeks had and saying this is what makes the world work. It is, it's Jesus Christ, this man that you nailed to a cross. This is the, the one that we're talking about. And it said that the word was with God. And the word was God. So you have two heresies already that John is tackling. So let's talk about the first one, or the second one first. The word was God. Decided it was God, like Arius popped up in, in 300 and and immediately made a big stink that it couldn't be possible, and then you had a split, and you had people kind of wanting to serve God, but how do you do it? How, are, how am I acceptable to God if not through Christ? I can't be good enough for God. I've already blown it. I'm already condemned. There's nothing. I can't, I can't make up for it. Once the paper is full of ink, I can't unink it. It's done. It's finished. All I can do is look at it and assess it, and that's all that God can do. But in Jesus, 
in Jesus who had to be God in order to take my sin. He had to be God to be punished for my sin. He had to be God in order to outlive the punishment. That in Jesus, God, Jesus, then I am capable of being accepted before a holy God. And so so John tackles it from verse 1. He absolutely just throttles these ideas so that he is God. Now, we've got heresy even in this, this country. I, you'll have the poor people that come to your door and they want to sell you a magazine and, oh, my goodness, they've got the children with them. And they, I, I was brushing my teeth at my, in college and there was a, an old yucky house. You'll live in one one day. And it was like a window right beside my sink. And the guy walked up between the two houses and knocked on the window in my bathroom and said, could I, you know, da, da, da. and I came to the door dripping and he wanted me to be, he wanted me to hate his guts because this poor man was trying to work his way to heaven by telling me that I need to be good and that I, and whatever. And he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. So when a Jehovah's Witnesses come and says God, what they'll do is they'll take you to John 1 and say, let's look in the Greek. Now, I've never met a Jehovah's Witness once that's had more Greek classes than I have, but not one. But this is what they'll say. Let's look at the Greek. So I want, to, I want you to look at the Greek. Go back to John 1, just verse 1, and I want to take you into some really boring grammar for about 10 seconds. It says, I actually had to memorize this. In our K, ain halagos. Okay, in the beginning was the word. So halagos means the word. So it's got a word the there. That's a definite article. But when you get to the end where it says, and the word was God, it just says halagos ain theos. And the word was God. Now, in Greek, it is possible that if you have a the, you have to have the. Must. If you have a the, you have to put the there. But if you don't have a the, you can either put a the, if it in the context is a the, you put a the, and if you don't, you put an a. So, for instance, the Jehovah Witnesses are saying, oh, he is a God, but he is not God. He's not the God, he's a God. Now, I look, I look at them because I, I do not hate these people. I feel so sorry. They believe that there's only 100,000 or so people in heaven, and they're already there already. And if they have any hope to going, they have to be better than the people already there so that they get kicked out of heaven and he gets to take his place. And that is the saddest, saddest, saddest thing, that somehow you need to hate me. I need to knock on your bathroom window so that you will think, who in the world is knocking on my window at 7 o'clock in the morning and hate you so that I can say, get out of my land, get off my property. Because every time you're mean at them, they get a point. And I, that pains me, pains me, hurts me. But what happens is you can, get, you can go further. This is in the same chapter. This is John, this chapter 1, verse 49. Nathaniel meets Jesus. And Nathaniel was under a tree. And then Jesus says, oh, yeah, I saw you under the tree. And Nathaniel realizes, how did you see me unless you're God? And he says, Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. And in that sentence, there's no the in front of king. So, you know, Nathaniel didn't say, you are the Messiah, you're one of the many kings of Israel. It, it doesn't work that way. 
Do you see? They're still trying to make Jesus not a God. They're still saying he's one of many, that you simply take your path and all paths go to God, all dogs go to heaven. It, it is the normal way of thinking in the United States right now. And it has been since John was writing. That's why he was writing. So the first thing he says is that he's God. And the second thing he says that was actually first is that he was with God. He was with God. Now, when you take that Greek word, it means towards, like setting yourself towards something. Like in position, it would be in front of something. That would be how it happened. There's actually one of the Bible translations that translate this. And the word, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was face to face with God. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. That idea that you're, you are God looking at God. That God and God were one God. We're not talking, we're not, we don't, we have a unity. We have one God. Hear, O Israel, your God is one Lord. But that there are three persons distinct of each other. That the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. Spirit is not the Son, and God is not the Spirit. That they're distinct in their persons, but yet one God. So that you would have, you would have Jesus Christ, not that God became Jesus and then went to heaven and became the Holy Spirit, like that he put on a different hat. It didn't work that way. It is, it is a mystery, meaning that it is bigger than the cup that you can put it in. And my cup is pretty small. To, to, to hit you with the Trinity is like, oh my goodness, welcome to Cowan. We hit you with the Trinity. The whole concept is that God is showing himself to be bigger than we can get him. We can't put him in a box. And he doesn't let himself be put in a box. But this is, this is John 1.18. Can you go? You're, you're in John anyway. Look at 1.18. This is the King James. It says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten which is the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. I think that's a little hard to understand. I'm not even sure who the he is and what does it mean. Like, I'm not sure how that's put together. Let me read it to you in three other versions. Let me read King James again so it'll seal it in your head. Then I'm going to read the other three versions. Can you strain and try to grab what's actually being said? No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So you have to say, okay, in the, in the language it was written in, what words are are there and what words are not there. Remember, if you're reading a King James Bible, it's got an italicized word every time there's no word there. Every time that an English speaker simply had to crowd a word there to make sense, it becomes an italic. So you can see if the word is there or not. So this is how the NIV translates it. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Now that's, that's a little bit better. This is saying that Jesus, the Son, is God himself and is making the Father God known to us. This is the ESV. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, the only God who is at the Father's side making him known means that Jesus is the only God. Talking about God the Father and Jesus is the only God, this is like, this gives you a headache when you think about it. What it's claiming is that Jesus is the only God, making God the Father known to us, the only God. It's, it's actually hard, it's hard to grab. But what John is saying is the baby that I didn't tell you about, 
the baby in the feed box that I didn't tell you about, the ones the angels sang, the, inti- the itinerant preacher that I will tell you about, who died on a criminal's cross, who was uh, basically executed by an, by a, an opposing army who, was t- who took over the country, he is your maker. And that is, that's a breathtaking statement. Has to, you have to support something like that. So the idea of a word is broad. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to look at just two uh, Old Testament verses and then try to show you that the whole idea of the word is, is what God does. It's action. This is in Isaiah 55. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not thither, but watereth the earth and makes, the, makes it bring forth bud, uh, forth bud, that may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where I sent it to. Now suddenly, wow, that becomes bigger than it's ever been. It's not simply that the, the written word of God that's printed in the Bible is effective, which it absolutely is. But he's saying this word, which I sent and which will return to me, will be effective and do exactly what it's supposed to do. This is Revelation verse nine, uh, chapter 19. And he, Jesus, was clothed with the vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. The word of God. So when I think of the word, when I just think of word, which really just means spoken word, it's something that God uttered. Do you remember we read 15 minutes of Genesis 1? He said nine times, let there be. And what was happening, according to John, who said there is nothing that was made that Jesus did not make, nothing at all, that he made everything that there is and there is nothing that is that he did not make. And which basically pokes it in the eye that Jesus is a creature. I'm sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, but Jesus was not created because he's the creator and you cannot create yourself. He created all things with the exception of the one who created all things, which was uncreated because he was wasing when the world started. And so it says, it says, I send him and he comes back and he does something. He is the word of God with his vesture dripped in blood. That is pretty, that's pretty scary. That spoken word said, God said, let there be, and Jesus Christ made it so. Jesus Christ put his hand on the ground, and the ferns popped out of the ground. Jesus Christ put his foot in the water, and the, it teemed with fish. And it happened in a breath. It happened in a moment, and Jesus is bigger than you ever thought he was. Your Savior, he's scarier than you ever imagined him. To think of Jesus as being, oh, he's not bad. I'm, I'll pray to Jesus because God's scarier. Jesus is the one who lived perfectly. He's the one that you should be scared of. And he's the one who saved you. It's Jesus who died. Paul says that again and again. It's Christ Jesus who died. That means he's the savior. He's the one who should be offended by you. And he's the one who saved you. If God before us, who can be against us? So the word is that spoken, active word. If God wants to communicate with humanity, he does it through Christ. It's through Christ that he does it. And so Jesus in Revelation is Alpha and Omega. Well, if you think of Omega as being the end and Alpha as being the beginning, Omega never ends. There's eternal life forever. And there was Alpha forever. 
Jesus has always been. He is always the Son of God. He's always your Savior. And he's the one who knows you best, and he's the one who loves you most. To have Jesus as your friend is to have safety. It's to have excitement because now you can please God. If you have Jesus, you've pleased God. You sinners who are scared that anybody would ever know your sin, if you have Jesus, you're safe. If you have Jesus, you've pleased God. You're perfectly pleasing. There is nothing he has against you. All of your sins were put upon Jesus' head, and he died in your place. That is, that's breathtaking in its scope and exciting. I can live right now. I can be accepted right now because I am accepted. Therefore, live like I am. He says I have a hundred. Live like I have a hundred. I once gave my kids uh, a new chapter, and I said, okay, we're going to talk about the endocrine system. And boy, is this complicated. By the way, I've already put your grades in the book. You have 100. All of you have 100. And I showed them. I put my, tech, uh, my grade book up on the screen, and everybody had 100 on their, on their grade for the test that I had just started that moment. And everyone just went and kind of relaxed, put their pencils down. I said, okay, let's start. And some kid, of course, fell into my trap and said, why do we need to do anything? And I said, you have the 100. Now live like it. I, I want the best. I'm going to grade you. And I want the best grades that this class has ever seen because you have 100. Because Jesus died for you, you live for him. Because he did it, you're not trying to get something. You are living in victory. And that is exciting. And John said he was with God and he was God. And all things were made by him. So when you, when you say that there is nothing that, that this God can't do... He is encompassing in his power, this is the same one that I'm going to tell you the stories of a Tuesday and a Wednesday and an awful, and he's feet hurt, and he's tired, and he's exhausted, and then he's, be, then he's brutalized, and then he's murdered. Oh, and then he rose again. That is what he wants. He's trying to get people who do not believe to see. I would, I would encourage you to read this. You can read the book of John in 12 or 13 minutes absolutely a beautiful read and comforting your souls.